I can't begin to tell you guys what that moment was like for me. I think I've written about it. I know I've talked about it before. Um, I've disca- discussed it ad nauseum with friends, some who are uh, Star Wars fans, some who are not. Uh, and I go back to that trailer because as much of a fan as I am of the original, The Force Awakens was really a reboot for me. It was a chucking of the first three movies, episode one, two, and three, which were shite, and starting anew. And I remember sitting here at this desk where I'm recording today, um, knowing that the uh, the trailer had dropped. Um, I was hoping to, to to wait for my kids to get home from school, and, and my wife was at work, and I, I wanted to watch it with them, but... I just could not, I just couldn't. So I put up the iPad, uh, loaded up the YouTube video, and watched the, the trailer. And I will tell you that the moment that the Millennium Falcon comes on the screen and you have Leia's theme surging in the background, my body just, it's as close to an orgasm as you can have, with, as you can have without having of the physical one. It was just awe-inspiring. I knew just from the tone and the feel of it that we were going to be all right. <laughs> that it was going to be okay. That, uh, that who knows, it, whatever came on the screen months later uh, would never meet the ideal that I and a thousand other nerds had. But that at least it was going to be tonally in the in the vein that it Star Wars needed to get back to no 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 more of the saccharine and you know badly acted uh trials of the past and I don't want to knock episode 1 2 and 3 because interestingly enough they are some of my kids favorite movies so I realized that it wasn't made necessarily for me it was made for a different audience or at least there was some, and Lucas has said this after the fact that he wasn't thinking of the original fans to some degree. That he might have been thinking about a new legion of fans that he wanted to attract to to the Star Wars universe. And you know, they made three movies afterwards, uh, after the you know that second trilogy. So you know, who who's gonna fight with a guy that's made all you know that money and who started this whole thing to begin with? My whole point is that I knew that we were gonna be all right, and. Watching trailers, and after that, having access to trailers at home has become an event. When I was a kid, the only time that you ever saw trailers was at the movies, obviously. There wasn't going to YouTube or your phone or whatever and punching it up and having it available for you. You had to buy a ticket to a movie, and you were stuck with whatever trailers they put in front of you. And it was always this grab bag of things. You just did not know. I remember in the 80s when the uh, Tim Burton's Batman came out, where I remember people talking about kids in my school saying that their parents, not them, that their parents bought tickets to go see a movie that they didn't care about just because they knew that, um, that the Batman trailer was going to be on there. This was back in 19... Uh, I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll think about this later. I'll put it in the comment notes. But people were actually going to the theater, not see the movie that they were, you know, there to, to to go check out, just so that they could see the trailers. 
it was my understanding that they were uh, the posters for the movie were stolen from signs around L.A. because it became so popular. The frenzy to to see this spectacle of the Batman uh, was so grand that you know people were going crazy. But that was your opportunity. It was an event to see a trailer. Not anymore. Now it's become accessible, and that's not a bad thing. It's great that there's, there's more access to it, but there there is something to be said about seeing a trailer on the screen. And, and I know that my children um, realize this. It's one of the things I don't like about the new, uh, new theaters that we have here where they have reserved seating. Back in the day, it was you get there early, you wait in line, uh, you rush to go get your seating. I had a game plan of where I wanted to say I don't like to sit way too up high. I don't like to sit way down low. There's only a certain number of uh, of seats in a certain in a certain row or one to two rows that I will sit in, which for me means the ultimate viewing experience. And if I don't find a seat like that, or at least when I if I didn't used to find a seat like that, like my whole movie experience would be ruined. I've never walked out of a movie to be honest with you. Actually, I lie. I have out of Cloverfield, and it wasn't because I wasn't enjoying the movie, but it's because the shaky cam made me sick. The only other movie that ever came close to that was uh, Blair Witch Project. But outside of that, because of actual physical illness, I have never walked out of a movie theater. Um, but some experiences have been, you know, less than because I didn't have in my hand, in my uh, head, the ideal seat. So you sit there and. Uh, and you're waiting, and, and and you have all of the minutia of all the little commercials that are going on the screen, and people are checking on their phones nowadays, or back in the day, they were just talking to one another, you know, people were passing candy around, and then, and then there was that moment, if you recall, where the dim, the lights dimmed just a little bit, and that was prepping your body to get into watching uh, TV mode, and then it would get darker, and then that little um, curtain, the one that's not quite long enough to fit the whole screen, just comes down a little bit. The dark start to get dimmer and dimmer to the point of darkness, and now you're in. And then that, when the moment when that little green thing comes across, uh, that green uh, slice of color comes across the screen, and it's emblazoned with the white coloring that talks about you know the following previews or blah 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 blah. It's ten minutes of bliss of you don't know what new adventures are coming down the way. My kids and I have this uh, thing nowadays that when we watch uh, the previews in the movie theaters, we will give a thumbs up if they want to watch it, a thumbs down if there's no interest in it, and th- you know somewhere in between a thumb gesture that tells me there's a slight interest. But then they can give me nuances, whether it's more leading towards the up and down. And they do this during the movie because we don't like to talk, obviously. But it's an opportunity for them to give me a gauge of, oh, that looks really cool. I want to see that. Or no, I have no interest in that. Or yeah, I can take it either way. I was really disappointed in the last, uh, when we went to go see Ant-Man this year, that Creed or Creed 2 got, you know, down uh votes considering the fact that i am so jazzed to see that if you know me i have been a rocky fan uh for you know since its inception basically or since i first saw it and i thought creed was one of the best movies i mean talk about a film that got me in it right in the heart and tears were coming down creed was certainly one of them uh the, the actor uh michael b jordan i think is his name 
I apologize if I get it wrong. That guy is Apollo Creed's son. Um, God, he, he just has such a grabby about him. He's physically imposing, but he emotes so well. I, I don't want to go into the whole Creed thing, but uh, if, if you haven't seen Creed, you need to. And I'm so excited about Creed too. So when my kids gave it downvotes, I'm like, you, you people have no culture. Anyways, we... We have the so we the, the the curtain starts going down and you're you don't know what's gonna happen next and then all of a sudden the music starts swelling to whatever it is and I don't like comedy uh, romantic comedy trailers I think they're a waste I think trailers are really meant for action movies come at me bro I I'm just telling you what it is that I like I like action trailers I don't care about comedies those. As far as I'm concerned, if they could not play them in the theater, I would be okay. I could be okay and happy with that. But back in the '90s, uh, 2000s, I mean, that was the way that you, that you saw these things. Um, but now we have them on the YouTube. And on the day that the trailer for The Force Awakens came out, I was here at home. I knew that it had dropped. Twitter had started to mention it. I did not want to be spoiled for a trailer, and so there was no waiting for anybody. I got a Snuggie, a blue Snuggie, put it on myself backwards, pretending that it was the top of it was kind of like a Jedi cape. I got my kid's uh, lightsaber that I bought for him that he didn't appreciate, so I took it back for myself because, you know, fuck it. Um, I'm the bigger Star Wars fan, or at least I was back then. And I sat here at my desk, put on my iPad mini, headphones because I wanted to get to get as best of audio as I could and I plugged it on and the moment that it started playing like I said I had a physical reaction I had an emotional physical reaction to what I was seeing it was wonderful uh, and I took a photo of it if you search my Instagram it's there of me just excited about this the, you know the movie that was going to come out you know in a year or whatever it was but it was those two and a half minutes were heaven and then after that I've watched the trailer I'm going to say at least a hundred times no joke I just watched it this morning because I wanted to remind myself of that place in time and it's just as good to some degree as it was back then the thing is that my what I wanted to talk to you guys about today was weird fetishes. Relax. I'm not gonna talk about you know some of the other stuff that I'm into. Uh, that's not what today is for. Maybe one day if you get me in a good mood. Uh, but these weird little things that bring me so much joy, and because they're off the beaten path, or at least I think they're off the beaten path, I wanted to share with them as uh, as weird fetishes of mine. Again, things that bring me pleasure that are not what I think everybody else does. And who knows if you if you share this with me, uh, let's start a convention, and you know, and we'll and we'll have a little fetish con for the things that I'm going to talk about, because I think that there's a support group to some of us who feel strongly about this thing. So the first one is, like I said, we, I watch the trailers at the movies, and, and I love still seeing them, and sometimes I uh, wish I could wait and not watch them on the, on the YouTube, but I do. But it is cool to go see them at the movie theater, uh, and we are a, a movie-going family. And see, seeing them out there and being excited to see them on the big screen. But nowadays we have the smaller screen, so we do. Anyways, my point is that that I, 
once I've watched them and I've enjoyed them and I've processed them with the kids and the family and we've all talked about what it is that we thought about it, then late in the evening or on an early morning before I have to go in, into the office or start dealing with clients or anything, I'll sit up my laptop and I'll punch in, uh, name the movie. Like, for instance, today was the, uh, the Avengers movie uh, Reactions. And I will watch five or six people reacting to to films. And it brings me such joy when I see other folks, you know, and some of these guys are over the top because they do this for a living now and they have to be over dramatic. But sometimes you find the ones that are genuine, just people <clears throat> turning on the camera to themselves and watching something and seeing where the beats and the hits of the the, the the person that created the trailer wanted people to be uh, to be impacted, and seeing those clank and click to with people, and the mouths agape and the hands going up in the air, or the tears that it sometimes evokes. It is it is so much fun for me to see that it's like yes you get it you get you understand what it is that i'm talking about i was there with you those goosebumps that you're feeling on your forehead the, the, on your forearm those are the goosebumps that i had did you see that thing did you see uh poe and then you see um you know the the moment where uh, thanos destroys the one thing and and who's you know who, did, did, was that spider-man that just came out oh my gosh i completely didn't expect that or i had heard rumors but i didn't know that they were gonna do it in that way or and then, of course, there are those where the movie shows you too much and, and, and you get to have your, you know, seven minutes of hate with, uh, with other people. We're like, I can't believe that they showed all of that. And why would they tell you the whole movie? Or like, I don't understand why, you know, they would tell you that plot point. Or like, that's a character that I would never envision in that role. So that's just totally dumb. I mean, I have been searching in vain to find people's commentary on Heath Ledger when he was announced as uh, the Joker. Because I know that there was so much hate to that. There's no freaking way that Heath Ledger, the, the, you know, that guy, the, uh, the, the guy from the, um, oh, what is it called? The guy from the, the Knights in the Shining Armor that, you know, they play Queen as their, you know, whatever the name of that movie was, that that guy, that silly guy from 10 Things I Hate About You, that he doesn't have the weight, he doesn't have the gravity to be the Joker. How could he even consider that? What is Nolan thinking? I mean, sure, we've enjoyed all of his movies and he's this visionary artist who knows all his stuff, but cast Heath Ledger? What the fuck are you thinking, Nolan? There's no freaking way. That's just going to ruin the movie. That's it done we're done with the batman i'm going to arrow because he's the cheaper brand but at least you know i know he's over the top what is this joker business with the heath and then you fast forward to two years after the fact once the movie come out and like you couldn't think of the joker uh, you know and, and not think of heath ledger right even some of us who grew up with um jack nicholson who and who thought that he was meat and potatoes and nobody would ever, ever, ever uh, undo his work. It's like, now it's like, it seems joke, pun intended. It seems silly what uh, Jack Nicholson did. I still respect it. I still care for it. It's part of who it was that I was growing up. But there is a night and day to, um, to what Jack Nicholson did to what Heath Ledger did. And I'm not, talk I'm not even going to talk to you guys about uh, Jared Leto. 
Um, I mean, to be honest with you, it's not even the much that I hate what he did with the Joker. Is that I didn't see enough of what he he would have done, and so whatever they show you in Suicide Squad is whatever the director thought were the greatest hits, and those greatest hits were not really all that good. I, would I want to give him a chance? Yeah, because I think Jared Leto is a fantastic actor, and I think that he could do more with the character if he had more screen time and and if he had a just you know a better written part. But anyways. My point in all of that is that there is that dislike or there is that love and adoration. There's the, the, the real reactions when a trailer hits you and moves you. And I look forward to that. I, I search it out. Like I said, I, I can spend an hour, hour and a half easy just looking at people reacting, genuinely reacting uh, online to the things that I'm excited about. And, and what's amazing in, in that sense, I guess I'm not the only one, is that the reason why these people are making these reaction videos is because people are searching for them. But I get so much sheer joy. Um, and I'm passing that on to, to my kin because it's one of those things where we're, we're doing that, where we're watching it and they're agreeing or disagreeing. My littlest one came to me the other day and said, hey, uh, how do I start a YouTube channel? And we had a conversation about what the responsibilities, and I think I've talked about this before, but what are the responsibilities that come with that? What are the pros and the cons of it? Um, what, is the, what can the dialogue online be? What are you inviting when you put yourself out there? And is there a certain maturity that somebody has to have uh, before you display some work and you receive critique? And, and not only just from your peers who may watch it, but also you open yourself up to the whole world. What is my responsibility as a parent to to allow that and to give permission to that? And there's some real, there's some questions there that we discuss as a family, um, you know, that that are not easy. And they're also relatively new for our time. I never got to go to my dad and say, hey, dad, I'm going to put it, record myself and make seven copies of VHS tapes and put them over at the... Uh, you know, at the store down the street, people didn't do that. The only way that you could ever get seen by anybody is go on on a network. And there were gatekeepers, and unless you had some real talent or you knew people, you were going to get in there. But now, the uh, the ability to record like I am with you today or to put yourself online on, on the YouTube or some of the other platforms, that that's available. The, the, the ability to publish uh, and not have to go through you know, name some kind of random house kind of place, you know, that that's changing things. And so it's changing the dialogue uh, with kids as far as how do you go out there and seek fame and what are the responsibilities that one undertakes when, when you embark in that journey. But anyways, so my point is that... They, I'm passing on that love for it, but it's a, it's a new thing that I didn't know existed, but it, that it brings me so much joy. Now, as I've been talking to you guys for the last 20 somewhat minutes, I sit here at my desk and considering the fact that there's no other person for me to talk to, so I'm imagining an audience and discussing this with you. Uh, if you were to see me from the sides, if you were my neighbor looking at uh, through the window to me, which he really shouldn't be doing, uh, and you know what? Shame on him if he is. Um, you would see that my hands are moving a mile a minute. I am constant. I speak with my hands. It is one of the uh, when my kids describe me to others and they're trying to mimic me. A, they're doing kind of rapid fire talking, and, or in 
if they could, they would use expletives because, as, as you know, I tend to use them. But they are always constantly, they're constantly moving their hands. They're uh, pointing, they're uh, making gestures with them. The, uh, and, and the reason for that is because I have this weird fetish with hands. I love hands, not just myself. I love my hands. That sounds weird. Uh, on myself. I love people's hands. I love the stories that they tell. Recently, I was at the Getty Villa, and they had an old statue of Hercules. And it's it's a nude. Uh, his wee-wee's fallen off for whatever reason. Somebody took it off. But as I walked around the entire statue, so you're looking at this thing, which is standing maybe 20 feet into the air, and it's imposing. He has this club, and it's uh, set against his shoulder, and his other hand is, you know, Pointing towards down, he's grabbing. He's grabbing some kind of piece of cloth. There's a lion to the side of him. And as I kept on walking around them and and looking at the detail, the smoothness of his back and the broadness of his back, uh, you know the, how it contours into his, you know, his buttocks and and the way that the the artist was able to chisel out the dimples in them. And those are the little details that are very interesting to me. How the torso is posed in certain ways, so in order to be able to show off the the musculature at the at the uh, center of his body, uh, the, the, the his hair and, and the crinkleness of it, the gaze of what is it. you know you when you I like to walk around statues and just swallow up all of the little details, all of the choices that the artist made along the way to expose this. A piece of art to the world out of a out of a rock. I mean, it's marvelous. And not only that, but that this thing has been in existence for hundreds of years. And even if you were to say thousands of years, and even if you were to say, "Hey, um, this could have been done last week," still the mastery of doing that, the choice after choice after choice, to get it to be that fine and precise and and, and beautiful. It's it's amazing. So then, you I got to the point where, um. You could see his hands, and they were just these thick, sausage-like fingers grabbing the piece of cloth, at least the ones that I could have more access to. And you could see that the, uh, the, the sculptor had chosen to carve out the veins, and they were just this network in the white marble that, that just jutted out just a bit of uh, of the rest of the smoothness and in 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 you could f- almost feel the pulsing blood going through it it was it looked engorged for lack of a better term and and it, that engorgement in the fact that you could imagine blood pumping through these things it evoked life and to evoke life to a statue, I had this Pygmalion-like moment where you think I could see where, for you know, people in antiquity, and to me to some degree, how these these creations were muses. They evoked, they, no, they, add, they 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 drew out thought from people, and not and not only obviously the 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 creator 
make this for us to awe at, but we have the capacity to look at it and be awed by it. And I guess part of, it's part of the reasons why I enjoy museums to not be crowded because I have the opportunity to really envelop me, envelop myself in, in, in the artwork. And so when I do, when I take photographs, I often ask people to pose their hands in a certain way because I think they're evocative. They are the way, they're as much a communication tool sometimes as gazes are and as languages. You can tell so much by the way that that people use their hands or, or how they're placed or where they're at or what are the motions that they're doing with them. I borrow from, I often watch videos on the YouTube, of course, of politicians that I respect. And I look at their mannerisms. Actually, I take that back. Even people that I don't respect, I look at their mannerisms and I look at how they, you know, how they move uh, their digits to be to point to things, to ask people to, to pay attention to a certain point. How sometimes they can ha- make a, a whole audience pause just by moving their hands. And so when I'm taking photos or when I'm watching people i'm constantly studying how their hands move um i think there's a great deal of beauty to um you know to to people's appendages and so if you ever looked at some of my photography or if uh, at instagram especially if you look at my instagram feed uh and look at my uh, selfies or, or photos that i have taken um or have been taken for me the ones that i choose not only have for the most part the you know the aesthetic that I want, but my hands are posed in such a certain way to either give a message, to evoke something. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> my, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I have this weird fetish for hands. I enjoy seeing them in others. Uh, I like hands that have characters, scratches, because all of that tells a story. The more weathered hands, um, the more beautiful they are. I think of it as patina on a piece of jewelry or that waxiness that comes in an old teapot that has just been cooked over and over again. All that collection of life that has, you know, that, that has given, that gives it its character, to me, that is so beautiful. Uh, and I absolutely love it. Now, I was thinking of my hands the other day, and I was looking at them, and at one point, my wife mentioned that I had an odd smell to them. And I have this bad habit of not using gloves when I clean. Um, I'm always in a hurry. Uh, I find that gloves take away from, uh, you know, the, the tactile part of, how I go about life and, and, and I like to touch things and really feel them for what they are and gloves take them away from me. Uh, and also because I'm constantly trying to share what it is that I'm doing with people that I, you know, if I'm doing an activity at home or I'm cooking or I'm cleaning or whatever, I hate having to take off a glove in order to be able to access my phone and type in my code and, and record the video and whatever. So I don't typically have them, which means that I often will have chemicals on my hands. Uh, you know, if I'm using Clorox, if I'm using 
Windex, whatever it, you know, thing I happen to be using to clean and make sure that the, that the that the house is in the shape that it needs to be, I don't have I don't have gloves on. So <clears throat> on occasion, if I'm not good about washing my hands, I will have a certain smell to them. And so I apologized and I said that you know that I would try to do a better job of that. Um, and then I went to go wash the kitchen sink and put even more chemicals on that. But anybody who has watched my stories on Instagram knows that I loathe, I hate a dirty kitchen sink. Piled up dishes just drive me batty. I, uh, so, my last you know, fetish uh, for the day is a, you know, a clean sink. And so I will wake up at 10, 1130 at night sometimes midnight and I will do an entire row of dishes and make sure that at the end of the day that you know the dish trainer is completely full and and I love making patterns on it I you know, with all my little dishes I I made like the Sydney Opera House out of one when it was all said and done and then I will always record that video and those of you who follow on Instagram know this where I will play Careless Whisper um because I love the song and I will show my hands with a cloth just wiping down my super clean sink. And it's the fucking sexiest thing I do. <laughs> so, anyways, those are my weird fetishes. What are yours? I want to know. I'm interested. Uh, listen, we all have these little things that bring us sheer joy. Uh, as long as you're not hurting others, and as long as you're not truly hurting yourself, I don't. I don't judge, man. I I don't care. Do you, boo? And I want to hear about them. I want to know what brings you joy. What are the silly, dumb things that bring you joy? I share them with me. No judgment. It's it it, it brings me pleasure. Um, and who knows, maybe you'll end up on the podcast because you've shared something with me that I didn't know of before. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I apologize that uh, the last couple of episodes have been heavy. Um, I, I process whatever comes at me, and I can't always say that everything's going to be chipper and fun and nice and, and, and that I live this curated life where only good things happen. That's not the case. Uh, if something strikes me and I need to talk about it, I will. And that's something silly stuff like this, or it's the passing in of somebody that I care about and how that impacts me. Either way, I appreciate all of you who have reached out and have said nice things. Um, and, and even for, uh, for those of you who have invited me to come on your shows, I'm, I love doing that because... It, yeah, I like being asked questions. I like delivering questions, but I, more than anything, I love to learn from other people. So like I said before, hit me up. Peace.